Come on, church. Let's give some glory to Jesus tonight. Come on, y'all can do better than that. We're celebrating Jesus. Go ahead and take a seat. <laughs> Brought some Nile Southwest Michigan people here, and they're being all rowdy on this side. Y'all got to make me look good, y'all. <laughs> Res Life, what an honor to be back in the house. Guys, thank you so much for having me one more time. I want to give honor to Pastors Dwayne and Jeannie for their generosity of sharing their stage tonight. Thank you so much for everything um, you are, for who you are, everything you do. You guys are incredibly blessed. You guys have just such incredible leaders at this church who just love you who just pray for y'all daily. When you guys are at home, they're up praying. They're up thinking. I have a holy envy for Pastors Dwayne and Jeannie. I'm just being real, y'all. Just their faithfulness, their ability to strive and stay the course. When so many in ministry have not been able to do, do that, and they're ministering, and their children are ministering. They're raising up a church, they pioneered a church that's bore spiritual children all over the world. I have a holy envy. You guys have a gift. So we're about to give them some honor right now. <laughs> Pastors Dwayne and Jeannie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm kind of excited because they invited me back, y'all. It ain't even been three months yet, and I got an invite back. So that means I'm family now. I'm going to be at the cookouts, at the baby dedications. Y'all going to be like, is Muta here? Yes. I'm family now. So um, I pray that with me being back, some of their anointing, rubs off on me as uh, we go and we've been pioneering a church in South Michigan, Niles, Michigan called Relevant Church. We've got some of the Relevant crew here today, so I just want to give you guys honor as well too for driving up here. Thank you for being here. Y'all ready to get into this word? This word has been stewing all week and I believe that this is going to change somebody's life tonight. And so I don't know if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn it on, flip to it, or we're going to have some of the words on the screens. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Let me go ahead and pray because I got a lot of content, and they told me because this is the second time that I'm here that I've got two hours, and I'm going to spend every minute of it. <laughs> so we're going to get into this thing. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your kindness. Thank you so much for creating this space that we can come and worship you and sing songs like, For God so loved the world, who gave his only son. Lord, we thank you for being so generous to send Jesus Christ to come to this broken world, to come and redeem a broken people so that we can have his righteousness and be found whole in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year, guys. I should say that. 
I know we're like 10 days in, but happy new year again. Um, it, for some people, they're like, you know, I feel like 2020 is still holding on. But for real, we are in a new year. Um, I got a question that I want to ask you, and I want a little bit of crowd participation and feedback if you can. How many of you guys think you know the number one addiction in the world? Say, if you, if you know the number one addiction in the world, just go ahead and shout it out. Number one addiction to the world, anybody? Sugar, technology, what else we got? Sex, what else? Violence, oh, that was crazy. Excuse me? Pot, hey. Can I tell you what the number one addiction in the world is? It's the addiction to be right. Everybody wants to be right. You can go to any nation, tribe, and tongue. Everybody thinks they're right. The greatest addiction in this world globally is that we are right. Everybody wants to be right. That's why there's so much conflict in the world. Because everybody thinks they're right. No matter where you go, everyone thinks they're right. You go home and we have conflict in the home because I think I'm right. We go to school, we, we look at education, we look at politics, we look at the church. Everybody thinks we're right. We've got different denominations, different persuasions, and everybody thinks they're right. Look at the corporate world. Amazing brands all over the place. Every brand thinks they've got the solution to your answer, to your questions, to your needs. Everybody thinks that I'm right. And it just reminds me um, of a conversation that I was having with my son. He's 15. I love Isaiah. Small, one of the smartest kids that I know. Handsome, amazing kid. But Isaiah... He said, oh, gosh. (laughs) Thinks he's right. And so we're having a conversation. I already warned him that I was going to talk about him. I'm going to talk about him a lot in this service, actually. So we go, and and I'm just like, hey, Isaiah, man, I I need you to make sure your room is clean, bro. Like, dude, you got to put stuff in the hamper. Like, we can't have just mess in your room. You can't have dishes in your room. You can't have all this. I know, Dad. I know. I know. Well, if you know, why is it still there? Isaiah, did you do your homework? Yeah, I did my homework. Then Isaiah, why is this grade looking like this? Isaiah, you got to do your grades. You got to pay attention in school. You got to knock out these A's. This is what you're supposed to do. You know, you're not in school to play. You're in school to learn. I know, Dad. Well, if you know, why are we having this conversation? And this is the crazy thing. The other day I'm having a conversation with him, and he's just like, Dad, you know, I get it. But, you know, a lot of times you bring stuff to me, and, and you, you, maybe you accuse me of something, or you say that I'm doing something that I'm really not doing, or you think that I don't really understand, or I really don't know. But I just want to know, like, I want you to know, like, this time, I'm not right all the time, but this time I'm right. And then the next conversation we have was like, Dad, I'm not always right. But this time, I'm right. And isn't that most of us, that is our excuse. We go around and we say, you know what, I don't know everything. But what I know today, 
is that I'm right. You know, listen, you, I am so open to new ideas. You can bring any new idea to me, and if you bring me a great idea, I'll take it. But today, I'm right. And then what happens is we begin to create a confederation of people who validate our beliefs, who support our positions. And then we just, we, we put ourselves around people who think like we do, who have the same ideas th that we do. And then we say stuff like, we just see eye to eye. You know, they just get me. You know, we practically finish each other's sentences. It's like, it's just when we're together, it just makes all the sense. It's getting quiet in here. People are like, is he talking about me? No, I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. And then we go to church and we're like, man, when the pastor preaches, it's like he's just talking to me. Until they say something that you disagree with. Hello, somebody. Then we become a little self-righteous. You know, I just don't feel like I'm fe being fed I just don't feel like I'm, I'm receiving. I, I just don't feel like we're connecting like we used to. And we get to this place where it's like everybody around us is wrong. And, and we just, I can't vibe with you anymore because the, there are difference in uh, opinions and difference in thoughts. And then we start becoming morally superior. And the funny thing is self-righteousness and the definition is like morally superior. I think self-righteous is simply us being stuck in our rightness. I want to give a different definition to self-righteousness. It's very simple. It's in the word. Myself is right. Yes. Somebody's going to catch them when they're driving home. They're like, I don't know. They just went over my head. And then they're going to be like, oh, myself is right. Yes. <laughs> you know, Honestly, that's, that's probably why people church hop. They go from this church to that church. They go from this community of people to that community of people. Because they're so stuck in their rightness that they can't allow anybody else's thoughts, any other viewpoints, any other understanding to step in. And I'm glad that God created, that Christ created the church. You know, in the end of time, when we look at Revelation, we look at the people who are in heaven, it says it's going to be people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. There's going to be a diversity of people in there. And can I tell you, I love the fact that that begins right here on earth. Heaven be begins on earth for Christians. I don't know if you knew that, but we are able to attain what we believe we're going to have right here on earth as we are journeying to the promised land. And so our reason for church, yes, is to teach the gospel. But what does the gospel teach us? The reason for church is to come together to defeat yesterday's understanding. Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renew your mind. Forget yesterday's understanding. Embrace what's today. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Today, I want to talk to you about embracing a beginner's mind. Embracing a beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is a concept that's in a lot of philosophies out there. It's in Christianity. You'll find it in Hinduism, Buddhism. It's just the concept of approaching things as if I have no clue, I have no preconceived notion. There's an attitude of openness, an eagerness, and a lack of preconceptions when studying a subject. I'm literally gonna enter it as if I had nothing to bring to the table. I had nothing with me because if we're honest, know-it-alls are annoying. Know-it-alls are the absolute worst. Anybody has somebody in their world who you know is a know-it-all and you're like, I just can't, I can't, I don't even wanna bring up anything to that person. We had one person tell the truth and everybody in here is like, I'm the know-it-all, what are you talking about? I'm just joking. Someone who's always trying to one-up you, who seems like they have the, the, the right answer and, and they've got the right experience, and, and so you're having a conversation and they know everything. And I don't know if you guys have ever done the Enneagram. I don't know certain people, different persuasions feel different ways about the Enneagram. Anyway, um, there, there's certain Enneagram types, and uh, threes are know-it-alls. And I don't know how many threes are in this room, but I'm a three, unfortunately. I feel you, sister. It's the worst. When you read that part about the three, did you look at that and be like, oh, God, is this really me? Yes, it is. I don't like me. Threes are know-it-alls. We're narcissistic. We feel like we've got the right answer, and we feel like we can answer everything for everyone at any time because this time, All other times I may be wrong, but this time. You got friends who are like, you know, you're happy that your kid is graduating high school. And you're like, hey, man, man, my son's graduating high school. My my son is, you know, I'm really excited about what they're doing next. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. My son graduated the top of the class. Has got a football, basketball, and baseball scholarship. Full ride. (laughs) Full academic scholarship. And this summer, he's spending it in the Alps, (laughs) studying German. (laughs) Thank you. Got somebody like, hey, man, you know, I'm I'm looking at this new neighborhood. We're we're looking to purchase a home. And I've been kind of looking at this community and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I really like the community. But my community, you know. The property value is just skyrocketing. It's just amazing. You know, we looked around and everybody else, you know, it's all right. But, you know, our neighborhood. Just like, bro, you know it all. And in scripture, we see Paul, who had the ultimate bragging rights. 
Paul, one of the greatest evangelists, one of the greatest church planners, one of the greatest uh, writers in scripture, most prolific writers. We, we, we look at him for doctrine and theology. We learn so much from Paul. Paul had the best and ultimate bragging rights. Check what it says in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4. It says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul was a three. That brother was a three. If anyone else thinks he is reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had ultimate bragging rights. Paul said, listen, I grew up in a religious family. I came from a long line of blessed individuals. I was well-educated. In fact, uh, it said that Paul was educated under Gamaliel, one of the highest and most no- notable pharisaical leaders uh, of their time. He was like, man, listen, I've been educated. I did everything right. If somebody's got a reason to brag, if there's somebody who can say they know it all, Paul knew it all. Plus, he was individually, specifically called by Jesus. Boom, mic drop. My name is Paul, and I approve this message. He did everything right. It reminds me of my friend Earl. Earl graduated high school at the top of the class, went straight into a four-year degree, graduated with a psychology degree. Immediately after his four years, he went right into the master's program, finished his master's of psychology, started practicing psychology, rolled right into a PhD, finished his doctorate of psychology, became a psychiatrist, and then two days, I mean, uh, right after that, he enrolled into his MBA. And that was by the time he was 30. I was like, man, if somebody can brag, Earl can brag. And this is Paul said, listen, I've done everything right. I followed the law. I've been educated in the best educational systems. I grew up in a great family. I know exactly what I know. And I'm confident in it. It's interesting in verse 7 how everything switches. He says, but whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Wow, Paul. He counts it all as rubbish, all of my education, all of my accolades, all of my experience, everything that I think I knew. When I discovered Christ, I was like, that's the real deal. I am nothing compared to that guy. So whatever I thought I had, I'm coming here like, I just want to learn from you. I just, I just, can I just sit here? He goes on in verse 9. He says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's like, give me Jesus. I can't go any higher. Sorry. You can have all this world. 
You can have everything. You can have your opinion. Give me Jesus. He sought after a righteousness that comes from Christ. He was fascinated. He was compelled to follow Jesus. He, he, he knew and could understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He saw what Christ did for humanity. He knew that he was the son of God incarnate of a virgin birth. He knew that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. He knew that if to, to die is Christ and to live is gain. He knew that Jesus Christ was the only thing that he could fully stand on. Everything else was going to go away. But something changes in verse 12. Paul goes from talking about everything that he knows. He goes talking about for everything that he understands and his relationship and how he is living in reckless abandon for Jesus Christ. And then in verse 12, he says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ had made me his own. What are you saying, Paul? Brothers, I do not, under, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Paul knew everything that he needed to know, but he hadn't apprehended it yet. This is one of the greatest writers of scripture. This is the person whose name is born in God's word. This was somebody who God used to author his words. And he's saying, uh, this is who Jesus Christ is. This is who I want to be with. This is the righteousness that I'm trying to attain. This is the individual who I want to spend eternity with. But not that I've already reached the goal. He knew, but he didn't apprehend. Paul is the most genuine Christian I know. Outside of Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. He goes, Paul, Dwayne and Jeannie. Jesus above all. But they're very close. I'm trying to get some brownie points, y'all. Help me out. He says, I get it, but doesn't mean I'm living it. I understand it here in my head, but doesn't mean that it's really reached for the core of my heart. Doesn't mean that in my actions, I'm living out this knowledge that I know Paul is being genuine. And how many of us know but struggle to walk in it? How many, how many of us have a, a mind understanding? We've got a head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge. Most of us definitely don't have a foot walking it out knowledge. We see this in our own families. I know my spouse loves me, but I find it hard to accept it because I can't even accept myself. I know they love me. I don't know why. I don't know how. My kids want me and want to be around me, but I struggle because I feel like I need to earn their love because there's something inside of me that's broken. Paul concedes. He says, listen, guys, I'm still learning. Yes, I'm planting churches. Yes, I'm seeing believers come to faith in Jesus. Yes, I'm seeing miracles happen through my work. But guys, as much as I know, I don't know. I'm still 
at a beginner's mind. So it goes on as we wrap this up. That's pastor speech to let you know that I'm almost done when I'm really not done. (laughs) But just to keep you in the game. He says, brothers, I do not consider this that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, everybody say, one thing I do. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. If you want to take some notes, it's the first lesson to embrace a beginner's mind. Let go of what you think you know. Let go of what you think you know. Let go of what you think you know. Listen, Paul could articulate, but he couldn't experientially articulate it. Many of us think we know. Maybe many of us think we have the right ideas. Every, many of us think we, we are, 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 are past and everything of, of our understanding with the way we grew up. The, uh, whatever it is that we bring to the table that we know and we have an opinion on everything. And what Paul is teaching us, one of the greatest writers in scripture, a man called out by God audibly and verbally says, follow me. You're going to be a herald for my gospel. Paul said, I don't know. And I'm going to forget what I thought I knew. Isaiah, can you come up here real quick? Move quick, son. We don't have much time. My two hours is raining away. Like I said before, my son is 15, going to be 16. It's your handsome-looking man, isn't he? Come on. Teenagers. Think they know... Everything. Am I right? That's right. Thank you. And he's honest, y'all. And oftentimes, me and him have conversations, like I said at the beginning, and he knows, and dad, I know, dad, I know, dad, I know. And teenagers have this ability to just look at everybody else and literally say, like, hey, everybody else is dumb, and we're right. Am I right? You're right. This was not planned. And the reality, go ahead and take a seat right up front. Many of us are like spiritual teenagers going around saying, God, I know, I know, I know. You go to church, the pastor preaches, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Our parents say something to us, I know, I know, I know. And we are living this life that is totally contrary to what we say we know. Many of us are social teenagers. We're cultural teenagers. We watch the news. We watch what we're seeing on TV. I know, I know, I know. If it was this way and if it was that way, it was this way, it was that way. And many of us are just cultural teenagers thinking we know what we don't know. Many of us are religious teenagers. We look at everybody down our nose. Well, if you just did it this way, if you knew what I know, if you just followed God this way, if you followed this path, if you did this and you did this and you did this, everybody else is wrong. And I am the spiritual and the moral authority. And Paul is saying, if there was somebody who was the top echelon of authority in all of this, it would be me. But I'm forgetting what lies behind. 
I love, there's this movie, the show I used to watch back in the day, Don't Judge Me, it was called The Real World. <laughs> it was Ratchet TV, I understand. <laughs> but I love the tagline, you think you know, but you have no idea. If you want to embrace a beginner's mind, you've got to begin to let go of what you think you know. Don't walk around like a spiritual teenager. You know who's a spiritual teenager? The Pharisees. They had all the knowledge in the world. They had every book to read. They had all the studies that they did. And then Jesus Christ comes in the flesh, and he is walking around, and he's telling them who he is. And they're like, I know, I know, I know. And they missed the Messiah because they wouldn't let go of what they think they knew. So they surrounded themselves with people who validated that Jesus was wrong. He goes on, man, that time clock is coming down really fast. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Two hours, two hours went by really quick. He said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. If you want to follow along, lesson number two, to embracing the beginner's mind, you've got to remain curious and open to a new reality. Elijah, come up here. My nine-year-old. Nine-year-olds are the most curious people in the world. They will talk your ear out. I love you, son. They will ask you every question in the book. I love you, son. They will come to you. Daddy, says, how does this work? Hey, dad, how can we do this? Hey, dad, how does We're driving all the way up here like, hey, so dad. And the Bible says we're going to be eternity. There's going to be pain. There's not going to be no pain. There's not going to be any suffering. So are we going to need flesh? Because flesh is how we get sick and how we, I'm like, son, you are so much smarter than I am at nine years old. But he's constantly curious. He's constantly wanting to know because with him, uh, there's no room for any hindrance to attaining knowledge. He's always asking questions. So uh, the other day, he's like, Dad, I love the music you listen to. A lot, I listen to a lot of EDM, electronic dance music. And he really likes that. And so he's like, Dad, I want to make music like that. I'm like, son, do you. He goes on his computer, finds some little app that's free, and he starts making beats. He comes down, Dad, come check this out. Come see what I did. I'm like, what'd you do? I'm like, bro, you did that? He's like, absolutely, because in his mind, I can do anything. I'm curious. I don't assume that I know everything. And so yesterday, he's like, Dad, I see that you design stuff on, on, um, on Adobe Illustrator. Can I use your Adobe Illustrator? And I've got this nice iMac, and I'm like, well, no, do I really want my nine-year-old touching my iMac? Because I don't know, he might spill juice on it or something like that. But something inside of me, Holy Spirit says, let your son use the iMac. He's like, Dad. I was like, dude, have you ever used this before? He's like, eh, on my phone, but not really. Like, I've never used it like this. I said, all right, cool. Go ahead, use it. He gets on there, and he starts messing around. I leave him alone. He goes, Dad, come check out what I did. I come downstairs. He did copied. Uh, uh, he, he screenshotted uh, an image, an illustration from uh, off the web. He puts it in Adobe Illustrator. He traced it. He made it right, and it looked like an exact splitting image. I said, bro, you did that? I did because I'm just curious because I don't think I know everything. So I just keep tinkering and asking questions and keep learning, keep growing. And I got a child genius here who asked me a lot of questions. And sometimes I'm like, God, please stop. <laughs> go sit. Go sit. Go sit. 
listen, he's living out what scripture says. God's mercies are new every morning. When's the last time you really lived like God's mercies are new every morning? When you got up in the morning and curious, God, what are you going to be up to today? God, what are you going to do? God, how are you going to show up? God, where are you going to be at? God, how are you going to bless people? God, how are you going to use me? God, how am I going to be able to use for your glory? You got to let go of what you think you know, and you got to remain curious and open to a new reality. Verse 14, Paul's teaching us here, y'all. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. He says, I press forward to the prize of the high calling. I press, I press. When is the last time you pressed? When is the last time you said, listen, I'm just going to strive. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to try. You know, this word press in there, it means without an idea of hostility. See, when we get older, we go from being curious to thinking we know everything to being jaded. It's not going to work. Based off of my past based off of my calculations, based off of my last experience, I'm not going to press because ultimately it's not going to work out the way I think. So I'm just going to rest right here. And you know that person on the job that I just really believe, man, if they just knew Jesus, uh, they, their life would just be flipped upside down. But you know what? I don't want to offend them, so I'm not going to press. That family member who's making really bad decisions, and the last time you had a conversation, they blew up on you, and so you're like, man, I don't know if I really want to say something. Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this is an opportunity. The, the door is open. Go ahead and lean in. No, I'm not going to press. Lesson number three, if you're following along, lesson number one, what was lesson number one? Let go of what you think you know. Lesson number two, remain curious and open to a new reality. Lesson three, set your intentions on the right direction. Where's Jeremiah? Jeremiah, come up here real quick. Fast. Flash. Dude, you're supposed to be flash. Come on, flash. You're flash everywhere else till now. You got to set your intentions on your right direction. This is my last guy. Five years old. Yeah, come on. See, they're cheering you on, baby. Woo! I remember when Jeremiah, in fact, all of my sons, but Jeremiah, because he's the youngest one and my memory is terrible. But when he was learning how to walk, Jeremiah set his intentions on the right direction. He used to look around. He was curious, seeing everybody else walking, watching his little brothers walk, and then he would get up. He would try to put himself up, and then he would stumble. Then he would fall back, and it would hurt his butt, and he would, sorry, I shouldn't say butt in church. I said it again. Sorry. Rear. (laughs) Sorry, pastor. He would fall down, hurt his rear. He would cry, but guess what he would do? He would press, and he would get back up again. And then he would stumble a little bit, and then he would hit the, the, the coffee table, and he would start crying, and he would fall. But guess what? He let go of what he th- thought he knew. He was curious to a new reality, so he set his intentions on the right directions, and he got up again. And he stumbled a little bit, and then he fell. Then he let go of what he thought he knew. He was curious and set his intentions on the right directions, and he got up. And before you knew it, last time we had a conference here uh, a year or so ago, this little dude was running through these walls just like, Wee! I love Jesus! And when was the last time you ran around and pressed for Jesus Christ and said, "Wee, I'm just going because God is with me. I'm going to set my intentions on the right direction. I'm going to keep my eyes on the mark of the high calling. I'm not going to get distracted. I don't care about my past. I don't care how I was jaded before. I'm going to press. I'm going to press. 
Come on, baby. You can come sit up here. He's like, Daddy, you really can make me sit up front? Yeah. Listen, the high calling leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. You've got to die to yesterday's understanding to embrace the new thing God is doing in you. I feel like this is part two of the message that I preached a couple of months ago about God doing a new thing in you. Well, the only way you're going to be able to do a new thing is you're going to have to die to yesterday's understanding. Ben, can you come up front? You know, I need some music, you know. It just, it just makes the moment a little better. And I got to convince the people that I'm almost done for real. <laughs> we got to embrace a beginner's mind. Have you embraced a beginner's mind? Because in order to embrace a beginner's mind, like Paul, who could have said that he knew everything, he absolutely said, you know what, I'm going to let go of what I think I know forgetting what lies behind. I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead. He's going to remain curious and open to a new reality. And he said that he was going to press to the mark of the high calling. He was going to set his intentions on the right direction. So let me ask you a question. What's your intention? What's your intention? When you get up every single day, what's your intention? You can forget everything that I've said today. If I want you to remember this. What's your intention? What's my intention? Write it somewhere in your Bible. When I open this book, what's my intention? When I get into a conversation with my spouse or a friend or a loved one or a parent, what's my intention? Is your intention set on the right direction? Because wherever your intention is set is where you're going to go. And some of us wonder why we're stuck in crazy situations. Well, it was the tension that you set before. Your, your intention is going to set your direction, so set your intentions in the right direction. Is your intention to display the fact that you know everything, or is your intention to get to know the one who knows everything, Jesus Christ, who's got all the answers? Is your intention ultimately uh, to have all the answers and show that you're a know-it-all, or is your intention to experience the full possibilities of what God has intended for your life? What's your intention? Everybody say, what's my intention? What's my intention? There's a text in scripture. Jesus' disciples in Matthew 18. Those knuckleheads. They always had something. Verse 1, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What do you think their intention was? Was their intention set in the right direction? Who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Jesus calling a child to himself. We've got a few babies over there. Jesus goes and takes one of the babies and sets him on his laps. And listen to the words that Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, you missed that. They asked him, Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? He turns and he gets a little child and he says, unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, it ain't about you being the least. You ain't getting in. 
unless you embrace a beginner's mind and get into the the curiosity and let go of what you think you know and set your intentions on the right directions instead of trying to be the greatest in the kingdom try to get to know who is the greatest in the kingdom Jesus Christ the king of kings the lord of lords the one who's got all the answers So Jesus Christ is in the garden getting ready to go to the cross. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Jesus Christ is in a moment moment of pain and panic. Jesus, it says that he's sweating blood. Jesus, fully connected to the Father, fully led by the Holy Spirit but fully a human just like you and I, who struggles just like you and I. And in his humanity, Jesus says, Father, if this cup will just be taken away from me, this is hard, this is painful. Does it have to be this way? I don't understand. And then he says the next thing that proves that even Jesus had beginner's mind. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And scripture tells us, for the sake of the glory set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross, knowing that the reward was greater than what he thought he knew in his humanity. What's your intention? Set your intentions in the right direction. Don't think you know everything. Let go of what you think you know. Embrace a beginner's mind because God is doing a new thing. Yes, he's got a plan and a purpose for you. Yes, there's much more for you on tomorrow. Forget yesterday's understanding and embrace today's reality. Embrace a beginner's mind because your Savior, Lord, Jesus Christ, embraced a beginner's mind. And because he embraced a beginner's mind, he went to the cross, took your sin, your punishment, carried the wrath of God, the full weight died, went into the grave, and God rewarded him because of his beginner's mind. He raised up on the third day so that you and I can be raised up for ceaseless ages to spend eternity with our King. Let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. We honor you for choosing us. We honor you for teaching us. God, teach us to embrace a beginner's mind. Teach us to know that we don't know everything. God, actually let us let go of what we think we know. God, keep us curious, curious and asking questions. Let's not come up with all the ideas. Say, God, I just want to know. God, why is this? God, how is this? God, teach me. Let me know. And God, allow us to set our intentions on the right direction and keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, the mark of the high calling, so that we can find, be found in him, whole and acceptable to do you and prove your perfect and acceptable will. God, if there may be anybody in here under the sound of my voice who's saying, man, I watched what happened last week on the news and I had every idea and I had every solution, but you know what? I'm gonna go back and have a beginner's mind. Man, I saw what happened in 2020 and I thought I had the right solutions, I had the right answers. I'm just gonna embrace a beginner's mind, man. My relationship with my uh, spouse or with my, my friends or my family is going crazy. And I thought I knew everything, but I'm gonna go back and embrace a beginner's mind. I'm gonna be curious so that I can experience a new reality. If you're in here and you wanna say, God, I repent. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking I know everything. Take my heart, let it be. You can take the world, 
but give me Jesus. And the whole church said, amen.